Hi guys, my name is Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge. This week I'm bringing to you another really interesting conversation with a guy called Peter Komalafe. And Peter hosts a podcast as well as has a very successful YouTube channel called Conversation of Money. And that's exactly what we do today. We have a conversation about money. Initially, we talk a lot about the importance of investing safely because obviously we've gone through a significant bull run over the last couple of years and the idea of, of safety and what can potentially happen if there is a market crash, that can kind of get lost in the shuffle a bit and, and that's a, a big a key part of, of Peter's message is investing in the right way. We talk about that. We also talk about the current sort of crypto mania off the back of that. So again, big bull running crypto, lots of people coming into crypto. And we talk about some of the areas of, of concern around it, especially in terms of scams and and um, the um, different types of ways that there are people out there trying to take advantage of the sort of fear and greed element that we're seeing at the moment in that space. We do also talk about some of the, uh, I guess, lesser lesser known areas of cryptocurrency, in particular DeFi or decentralized finance, and some of the potential positives or potential exciting opportunities that could come out of that. Lastly, we also touch a little bit on Peter's wider story. And this is really, really interesting. He's actually about to release, actually will have released uh, just a couple of days ago by the time this podcast episode is out, a short film about his, his backstory. Um, and without giving too much away, the title of this short film is Fostered, Kidnapped and Homeless. And Peter gave me a little bit of a snapshot of, of kind of what's in, the, in that short film and, and what's led him to where he is today. And it sounds really, really interesting. Peter's story is that, you know, before he started the, the Conversation of Money YouTube channel and the podcast, he was a for, Fortune 100 executive. And once you hear a little bit about his backstory, that becomes even more impressive than it initially is. So I found this is a really in interesting conversation with Pete. Um, so I hope that uh, I hope you find it useful. There's a lot of different ground that we cover here. And if you have anything, any questions off the back of this, if you've anything you'd like to get in touch with me about, then obviously you can find all of the information, all the links to everything at thehedge.io. But for now, let's get into the interview. And I uh, really do hope you enjoy this episode. Pete, really great to have you on the show. No, thanks for inviting me on. Really do appreciate it, mate. Thank you. I'm normally the one doing the interviews and asking questions on the podcast. This is a nice little shift of dynamic. Exactly. I'm the one that gets to relax today. You're the one who's got to do all the work and, uh, and carry us through. So no, it's, uh, it's great to have you on. Do you want to, um, I mean, we are, you know, we're both in this kind of investing personal finance space in the UK. So I'm mm -hmm. sure a lot of my listeners will have come across you anyway. But for those that maybe haven't, do you want to just give us a bit of a snapshot as to kind of what it is you do with Conversation of Money? Yeah, so Conversation of Money um, is really just about providing uh, financial education. I mean, from a personal point of view, I set it up because I want to be able to have conversations with people online that I wish that people had with me when I was in my 20s, when I was 20, 25. Um, financial education and financial well-being is very, very dear to my heart. Like personally, on my journey, if I look back, if I knew a lot of the stuff that I know now when I was in my 20s, life would be very, very different. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we don't get taught this in school um, and I'm lucky enough because of my career through financial services to know the things that I know, you know, these things should be common knowledge, but they're not. So conversation of money is really a conduit to help people get the right information um, without all of the hyperbole when it comes to investing specifically. Mm. 
Yeah, definitely. And I like the I like the idea of it being a conversation because I think that's something that I definitely see you encourage with your listeners uh, and your you know people who watch your content through even things like your lives. You know, it, it is very much about driving a conversation and getting feedback from people and and trying mm-hmm. to make it a two-way street rather than just you up on your soapbox telling people this is how you should invest this is what you should do yeah i really like that about your content that you do try and get it to be as interactive as possible really thanks so no i do i think it's really important um because i think you know it's hard enough speaking about money as it is mm-hmm. and, and often people don't because it's I, I don't know what it's like in australia but here in the uk it's very uh, impolite. It's not very British to talk about money mm-hmm. in, the, in in America in the states. It's you know people are proud to talk about money in that way. We don't do that over here, yeah. and that's really really strange. And you know when I started it, I didn't really know what to call it. Um, and I remember the day that I was going to shoot my very first YouTube channel. Um, I didn't know what I was going to call it or how I was going to welcome people. And I the first thing that came out of my mouth was "Welcome to Conversation of Money," and okay. that's basically how it started. Um, because I do want it to be a conversation. I want people to know that we are going to talk about money, that taboo subject that people feel uncomfortable to speak about. We're going to talk about it openly and we're going to have a dialogue and hopefully people will then come on that journey of that transformation and that education really. And that's that's the hope for the channel. Awesome. So speaking of the channel, obviously that's from from you know what I say it's been hugely successful. I know I sort of, I think we first kind of spoke via Instagram DM or, or sort of, um, followed each other or whatever kind of early in the first lockdown in 2020 so you know for, I think at that point you had around 10,000 subscribers on YouTube which has grown really fast to kind of over 30,000 now which is which has been awesome to see so you get a lot of people watching your, your content I know you've got a, your podcast conversation of money is really successful as well you get a lot of people um, tuning in to listen to that so you get a lot of data about what people are interested in right because obviously when you mm-hmm. in the back end of all these all these um different platforms you get a lot of information as to what's popular what people are engaging mm-hmm. with the most at the moment what are you seeing as the areas of investing in personal finance that is drawing people's attention the most it's shifted <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> it's shifted slightly actually so if you look out through the pandemic um on the investing front it was very, very much focused on picking individual stocks mm-hmm. because Amazon, Tesla, those kind of companies, Neo, they were all in the news. So picking individual stocks was a massive, massive focus, which, you know, that's great. It's not a problem at all. Um, by all means, go and buy individual companies, but you'll know as, as well as I do, that could be thought with a lot of dangers and risks because yeah. essentially you're exposing yourself to higher risk. And the reality is that, you know, a lot of people who are just starting out as beginners don't actually understand how to research a stock, what to look for. It is, it is pretty much driven by my mate said this down the pub, <laughs> or I've seen this on social media mm-hmm. and therefore everybody wants to jump in with, Oh, I need to go and buy some Tesla stock because it's trending and it's in the news. Yeah. And that's the worst place to start. So, Individual stocks was definitely one of the areas where people were constantly always looking to get invested. The other, which was which was there, but it's increased significantly, I guess, since maybe summer this year, crypto. Yeah. 
um, huge, yeah. massive, especially with you know the likes of Doge having done so well and Shiba Inu and Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm. So those are the two key areas where I found a huge amount of interest from people who listen and, and watch the channel. Those are, that's where I get the majority of the questions that I receive. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, everything does seem to be built so much on hype these days, doesn't it? Like, I mean, we kind of had, like you said, in the earlier days of lockdown it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where you get some of these companies' share price starts to increase significantly, which then increases the new cycle on those companies, which then means more people come in. And, and it's it's kind of been the same with crypto, hasn't it? Like it started to go on a, on a bull run kind of end of last year. And again, it's the same thing. The more focus goes on it, the more the more people are piling in. And it's sort of, it's, it's really interesting to watch, isn't it? The consumer behavior and where people's attention goes and how that's fueled by all this content and news that's out there. Absolutely. But you also have to think about the backdrop which we, in which we find ourselves. You know, last year with the lockdowns and COVID, people were either furloughed and people lost jobs and, you know, reductions mm -hmm. in income. You know, you can't get a decent rate of return in a bank account. So people who want their money to go a little bit further, they they listen to the news and they watch the news. And it's like, oh, this person's made X amount and he's a millionaire overnight. And everybody naturally wants to get involved. It's a really weird cycle of human psychology. And that's where, you know, you look at the markets and the market trends and the asset price inflation. That's been driven by human behavior. Mm. That that flood towards something that potentially gives the hope of a financial reward. Yeah. And whilst that is great because it's got more people interested in investing, and my channel has been a beneficiary of that. On the flip side you've seen an increase in, in scams. Yeah. They're all over the place right now. And as a result of that, there are people who perhaps didn't quite understand what they were doing when they started, you know, buying AMC or GME, got stung, and as a consequence, will probably have a very bad experience with their first time investing. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, you want to have, I would love people who listen to me and watch me to have the best experience as first time investors. Because I always say, you know, get your confidence up, fill out the ground, you know, try to understand how it works, terminology, just, you know, how you're going to feel with the mark, with the money being invested. And if you did see a bit of a dip, try to manage that emotional side, that psychological side, as you get more used to that, your confidence starts to build, then you can go and, you know, look at after, all of these other things like, you know, individual stocks and, and that kind of stuff. But it's, it's definitely been a very, very interesting time mm. over the last, you know, I would say 24 months, really, to be fair. Um, but the fact that people are, more people are talking about investing and interested in investing, I think is a good thing overall. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a good thing. You raise a good point there about um, kind of the the socioeconomic backdrop to it all, which we probably is going to go a bit off topic if we delve too deeply into that. But I think that's a really mm -hmm. good point. I think a lot of people, for a lot of people, getting four, five, six, seven, eight percent a year can change their life, but over a long period of time. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are, are definitely, I would agree with you that a lot of people are feeling like they need their lives to change now, you know, unhappy, mm -hmm. struggling with, with income inequality and wealth inequality and that sort of stuff. And you see these stories of someone putting a hundred quid into Shiva or Dogecoin or whatever, and people think that that's their way out as well. And it's, I mean, yeah. it's the kind of gambler's fallacy, though, isn't it? Because for every 
for every one guy who has a YouTube channel who's become a millionaire off one of these meme coins, there are millions of people who are dropping money on stupid stuff and, and never making anything. So, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a really interesting point and something that probably neither of us are necessarily qualified to, to fix the, the wealth inequality in the, in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Um, as well as your the content that you put out there and the um, you know you, you said you mentioned about uh, the fact that obviously it's conversation of money we're not taught this stuff in schools you put a lot of a lot of great content out there but you also have your your investing course you do some some corporate work as well can you talk me through a little bit about the kind of of, of things that you try to teach when it is actually more of a a kind of structured teaching course learning sort of environment. Yeah, well, it, it really depends. I mean, this week is Talk Money Week. So mm -hmm. I did a um, a workshop for co-op yesterday. Um, and the focus of that workshop, and Adam um, actually said to me that they had a number of sessions this week. My session was the most popular one, and it was how to invest safely. Oh, great. And I think that's the most important thing for me. Mm. Um, and that's what I tend to teach. It's like, you know, investing is great fantastic you know you're interested in that so you should be it's an exciting time you should feel enthusiastic you should be excited you should you know go into that with a spring in your step however you know what does it really mean why do we invest it's getting those fundamentals in place understanding risk versus reward understanding you know things that we know as as advisors investment time horizon how the timeline actually impacts how you would invest i.e longer you have to invest the more risk you can afford to take the shorter the less it's teaching people those fundamental foundations so that when they look at an investment proposition hopefully that is ringing in the back of their head to say oh Pete said, you know, to be mindful of this, mm. this, and this. It is about being safe. And, you know, one of the things that I, I try to stress in my course um, is, you know, you have to be able to identify when things that you come across are too good to be true. Mm. And simple things, right? Like authorized and regulated by the FCA. Very, very basic, very, very simple. Yeah. Now, making sure the company gives you coverage under the financial services compensation scheme. Yeah. Very, very simple but important mm. you know i can't i don't know what the numbers are for 2019 and 20 just yet but in 2018 there were 3358 financial scams mm. a lot of them started on social media so that's facebook instagram right yeah and that totaled a loss of 50 million quid and these are scams that would have you know taken newbies and made them victims of this gambler's fallacy mm. that you're referring to you put this money into this we're gonna 3x 4x that in two weeks in five weeks and this is rife now yeah. and even to the point that i've had my instagram account cloned with someone trying to sell crypto scams yeah. it's so easy to do that so i focus on trying to educate people on if you are going to be looking at investing then invest safely yeah. and how to identify how to safeguard yourself beyond that beyond the investing um, piece when i do coaching and, and other one-on-one -on -one or corporate work i can also spread out to things like simple things like money management you know budgeting yeah. the idea of an emergency fund it makes sense all of the time but you know i think especially with covid people know yeah i need to put money mm. just in case yeah. you know something goes wrong 
But, you know, we live in the real world. Oftentimes, people have credit card overdraft, car finance, and all these kind of debts. They have a real drain on their resources, on their income, that they don't really know how to start building an emergency fund, even though it makes 100%, you know, sense. So one of the things that I did for this company yesterday in co-op is, you know, as part of the foundational pieces on the way to investing, we talked about emergency funds. And I I wrote last year um, a document which is... 13, 12 pages long, walking through what an emergency fund is, the different types of emergency funds, and four approaches on how you can actually start building an emergency fund, even when you're paying off debt. Mm. So it's trying to impart a lot of my knowledge and experience into those kind of courses and and corporate seminars and workshops. So I can give people maybe a little bit of my experience on along the way. Yeah, and I think that's so important, isn't it? And the emergency fund is an interesting one, because something that you know what I like about the when we talk about money and, and talk about investing is that it, it has such a more wide-ranging impact on our life than just the pounds and pence in our in our bank account. I think an emergency mm-hmm. fund is one where it is actually really powerful because it's it's everyone not everyone but a lot of us have had times in our life where we've lived paycheck to paycheck and we've not had a lot of money. And it's fucking stressful. Like, it's so stressful mm-hmm. when you're going to do a food shop and you're not sure if you're going to have enough to, to cover mm-hmm. cover it because you're not getting paid until tomorrow or the next day or whatever. Yeah. Or um, something happens and, you know, you blow a tire on your car and you need a couple hundred quid mm-hmm. to get new and you don't have it. And I think that's one thing that gets often... Uh, you don't realise until you have an emergency fund, you have a little bit of financial security how much confidence that brings you in yeah. in your going about your yeah. day-to-day life because you're not feeling like yeah. the hammer's going to drop on you at any point. Um, yeah. So I think that's that's a fantastic one to, A, just makes good financial sense, but B, it can be such a, a game-changer in, turn of, in terms of mindset to get people from yeah. stopping making silly financial decisions. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. But you know what it is, though, that they, I think, and we we talk about this like we don't get taught this stuff in school Mm. but fundamentally you know if i could if i could go back and give myself you know one piece of advice if i had a delorean tomorrow it would be to basically try to cultivate the habit of setting aside a percentage of what i what i earn and do it religiously Mm -hmm. because you know you're right. I've been in situations where you are paycheck to paycheck. And in the back of your mind, in those moments, you know, I need to have like maybe 100 quid or 200 quid set aside, but you never do it yeah. because it's like oh, other stuff happens, right? Yeah. And that's a mindset thing, right? Yeah. And then when something happens, you're immediately then kicking yourself like, oh, I should have done something about it like six months ago and I didn't. And you get into that vicious cycle. Yeah. And that's why I talk about habits. And I said this to the guys yesterday. I said, you know, one of the things I do talks in schools and all that kind of stuff. I say, look, you need to get into the habit. Habit, cultivating this habit is going to pay dividends. The habit is if you could save 10% of what you earn Mm. per month, don't worry about the monetary figure that comes along. So it doesn't matter if it's 50 quid or 100 quid. That 10% is the most important thing and the habit of it is the most important thing. Because as you earn more money, that 10% becomes more. Yeah, exactly. So if you're earning 1,000, it's going to be 100. Yeah. Earning 2,000, it's going to be 200. 3,000, 300. It's that habit that really, really matters. And that's the kind of stuff that in the long run, long term, it's going to give you so much of a payoff that ultimately 
you'll look back and you would have made better financial choices as a byproduct of that habit. Mm. And it, that is so true when it comes to things like emergency funds, because the money that you that you can save or invest, that 10%, can be used for whatever reason that you want. But I always go back to, and I just it baffles me all the time, why is this not taught in schools? Like it's a very simple, fu fundamental principle, but we don't get it in school. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, it's it is a weird one, isn't it? Because there's just a there's just about nothing that's going to have more of an impact. Maybe health, you know, health and money really are mm -hmm. the two things that fundamentally are going to have the biggest impact on our quality of life. Really, definitely more than um, than some of the stuff that, that that do happen to be on the curriculum. So, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine on that one. No, no. So you mentioned before um, scams. They're getting really good. Like they're getting really mm -hmm. good. I had I had one. Someone. I mean, obviously, I get all, you know, like everyone, I get loads of of crap that comes through my emails and DMs and all everything. But I had something on Twitter the other day where Michael Saylor, who if you if you've not heard of him or if anyone's not heard of him, he's like big into Bitcoin. He's a billionaire. Um, it was a fake account for him and added me on some list or something on Twitter. And I don't know Twitter as well as I know some of the other platforms. So like. It took me an embarrassingly long time to like dig in and find out like what's going on here, like what is this about. It linked to a whole website which was like if you send Bitcoin to this address, we'll do all this stuff with it and you'll get more. And I'm like I knew it was a scam, but I was trying to work out – it took me a while to work out what the scam actually was. Um, mm -hmm. And it just – the, the, the um, like the account and everything, it just looks so genuine. And obviously so you mentioned before yeah. about you've got one – um, you know, you've got that happening to your own uh, accounts. It seems to be happening more and more. As someone who is full-time content creator, do you do you have any ideas of, of what the platforms can do to try and stem this a little bit? Well, this is this is the the one big issue that we face, and I face. I stepped away from Instagram a few months ago once this started, you know, happening because. Instagram do nothing about it. Right. You can't speak to a person. You can't email a person. I mean, the last time this happened, um, people said, you know, you can do this under trademark because conversation of money is a trademarked entity. Mm -hmm. So you can do this under trademark. They have to take action. I reported the account and they said, no, they've not, they've not breached any community guidelines. And I'm like, what? it's simple common sense. And it's simple. It's something that actually you're able to do as Instagram. You can see when a, an account was created, you can see when they uploaded all of my 400 and odd videos and post everything. Yeah. So you can see that it was all done within a space of two days. Mm -hmm. You can then have a look at my account and know that I've been at this for, you know, three years, yeah. four years on Instagram. So you can tell the genuine account from the fake account, yeah, yeah. but they refuse to do anything. And I think in order for them to be held accountable, regulation is government is going to have to step in. Mm. Because, you know, I was secretly happy with the whistleblower, you know, coming out against Facebook. Yeah. Because they know that it's an issue, but they, they refuse to do anything about it. And my one frustration was, in all of the emails that I sent them, I said, you don't understand what's going on. It's not just the fact that someone's using my, my brand and my image yeah. to rip people off. They are actually ripping people off. Mm. They're taking people's money. And they're per perpetrating this on your platform, and you are not policing it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're not just Nothing. trying to take money out of, out of your pocket yeah. as the creator. They're trying to take money out of everyone's pocket, aren't they?
yeah. Mm. But cricket, no response whatsoever. So I think there's there will need to be governmental um, intervention in order for them to take this seriously. Yeah. And it's just a shame, really, to be honest, because, you know, these cam, they're so plentiful out there now, especially when it comes to the crypto space. I mean, I got uh, a DM on Instagram yesterday, which was basically a dump and pump group. I saw that, yeah, I saw that on your stories. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, so brazen. It's just, it's absolutely nuts. And the funny thing was, I'm going to do a video on this. The funny thing was, I actually joined the Telegram group because I, I was going to dismiss it and I thought, nah. And I thought, actually, let me just see what's going yeah. on inside. Yeah. And it's amazing. So yesterday they had 16,100 and something people in that Telegram group. I'm going to see if I can get it open right now. Just to, it seem, The number seems to be climbing by literally the minute. Yeah. So at the moment in this Telegram group, and they pumped a coin yesterday, they pumped the coin 10x at least yesterday. Yeah. So in this group right now, they have 17,000 people. <laughs> so people are obviously joining this by the hour mm. to basically pump and dump. And like in the stock market, because it's regulated, that's illegal. Yeah, you go jail <laughs> that's for market that. Yeah. People go to jail yeah. for that. But because it's crypto and it's unregulated, there are all sorts of cowboys out there just, you know, taking advantage of people. Mm. And, you know, people argue, well, I could make a bit of money. But, you know, when somebody makes money, someone's going to lose money. And you have to understand how these pump and dump schemes work. One thing I notice in the group is they'll tell you that it's 30 minutes towards till we start the pump. Mm -hmm. And they'll tell you what the coin is at that time. Mm -hmm. But what tends to happen is... The guys behind the pump already know what the coin is. So they're buying yeah, it yeah. way in advance yeah. at a really, really low, low, low price. Yeah. They send out the signal. They tell everybody to buy. You have 16,000, 17,000 people buying this coin with very, very low uh, float. Price rockets up. Who's the real winner here? You participate and you're not the winner. Yeah. The winner is the guy who's organized this entire thing. who was bought that coin for pence and not even pennies these days you know and will benefit from that 400 500 percent ratchet up because seventeen thousand people are pumping this it something needs to be done about it and on, and my fear is nothing will get done about it yeah i think you raise a really good point which i think is very obvious if you think about it but often gets missed and that is that anytime you're trading an asset there has to be someone else on the other side of it. And I think that's what mm -hmm. often gets forgotten when we're seeing these coins go up a billion percent <clears throat> and then dropping really fast. People think, oh, I'll just sell mine as it starts to drop. But if there's nobody on the other side of that trade that wants to buy it from you, you can't get rid of them. And I think when, mm -hmm. you're, talking about this, when you're talking about the share market, there will basically always be someone who will be prepared to buy Tesla from you. You know, in yes. regard, it, it could fall 60% tomorrow someone will buy those shares from you, almost mm -hmm. guaranteed. If you've got a one of these coins where there's such a tiny amount of volume, there's such a, actually such a few, a small number of people who are actually actively trading it, you can get to a situation where you, you, can't, you can't get rid of it. And I think that that's mm -hmm. really important to keep in mind that often these massive price rises are coming off tiny, tiny volume. So it doesn't really yeah. mean what necessarily people think it means. Yeah. And it's the liquidity as well. So this coin yesterday, if I look at the um, the stats that they put that they posted in, so I think the market cap before the pump was something like ten million. Mm. I was watching it on my phone, and I got tired of it in the end. But the last figure that I saw in terms of the market cap, they took it from ten million to a hundred million. Mm. But if you looked at the liquidity pool, 
the liquidity liquidity pool was only around about 200,000. Yeah. So it's like, how many people will actually be able to cash out because yeah. there is enough liquidity exactly. to actually get your money back out? And these are the kind of things that people don't necessarily understand. They they hear this pump and dump and think it's a great opportunity to make a lot of money yeah. and be part of the the lucky ones who change their life through this crypto revolution. But actually, if you don't know the rules of the game, you're playing against a, a chess master, not understanding, you know, in what direction your 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 pawn moves. It's it's just it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we're touching on on crypto mania a bit. I actually had it's interesting. I had a um, I had a a review on my on Apple today that came up, and the guy mm-hmm. was saying, I, "I wish you'd do some more content on crypto, but I know you're not a fan," and um, which I thought was interesting because I I try to be for a financial planner. I think I'm fairly balanced on crypto i'm definitely not like dead against it. and i think what we're talking about mm-hmm. now is kind of the worst side of crypto but mm-hmm. there's also loads of incredible opportunities and potential we talked a bit a bit about this when i was on on your podcast uh, just recently and i guess i think that there's loads of, of of good stuff that is coming out of the the blockchain technology and and the advances that are happening in the web3 space and there's obviously a lot of shit like we're talking about now. When we look at mm-hmm. kind of the next, say, five, ten years, if we're looking at cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and blockchain, kind of this whole new decentralized technology that's that's sweeping the world now, what do you think is kind of best case scenario and worst case scenario? And I'm not talking about like the price of Bitcoin or anything like that, but more like how integrated do you think this stuff can become in the mainstream and what would be kind of the minimum you would expect over that longer longer period of time so i mean the crypto space is really interesting at the minute i mean it's taken a little bit of convincing on my side but you know the more i kind of delve into it and try to understand what it's all about and the applications and how it could change things moving forward it's very 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 exciting i mean the thing that i think will change the most and this is it's almost it's a two-sided coin right so this is a good thing and it's also a bad thing it's one of those things that could change pretty much everything i'm very very excited about the DeFi space mm-hmm. and what that could basically mean i mean potentially the ability for someone to get a mortgage literally and be able to complete on a mortgage by buying an nft as the mortgage deed and actually have the money borrowed via DeFi. that is extremely extremely exciting do you want to just, just do you want to just take a quick step back and just sort of give us a, a sort of um, a quick overview of what DeFi is yeah. for those of those listeners maybe who haven't heard the term before yeah so DeFi is basically decentralized finance it's the idea that you would be able to invest uh get a loan you'll be able to get a mortgage or using digital apps that are built on the blockchain so essentially picture the way your process is at the moment you would go to a bank for a loan or you would go to a bank for a mortgage take away the bank and just know that you could be able to do that on your phone and be able to have access to something without credit scores or anything like that and it's just all approved digitally online that's essentially what decentralized finance is and you can also obviously invest and trade on that um under that premise as well using digital apps that that are going to be built under you know things like on ethereum and uh other places like cardano but ethereum really is the is the bed on which all of this is built so it's a very very exciting exciting proposition as exciting as it is 
being in the financial services industry, my concern is what does it actually do to our industry? And the bigger concern is, well, how does it actually integrate into the wider financial system? Because it's all very well good and saying, you know, you know, you can uh, borrow money or stake your coins, which you can do now and get interest by holding your crypto or you get a mortgage or uh, borrow some money via a loan on, you know, on these apps now. But having it all digitized in that way means that you start to question how central governments are able to pull the levers, the necessary levers in order to make sure that money supply doesn't outrun in terms of inflation, hyperinflation, stagnation, all that kind of stuff. How does it actually work in a world where DeFi is the go-to place where everything's digitized? So it is a very, very exciting, but at the same time, I'm very, very concerned about what it means for the financial services industry and the wider financial system as a whole. Because people will say, you know, and this is, I often get this, DeFi, 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 crypto, yeah, banks, you know, the government can't control it. That's all very well, very well and good as a premise. But actually, you need to think about what the implications are for the wider financial system. People are saying down with the financial system. Okay, that's fine. But that's your mortgage. Mm. That's your car finance. That's your overdraft. That's your business account. That's all of the, the, the financial infrastructure that you have right now that your life is predicated on. You're saying potentially that goes yeah. tomorrow. If that were to happen in real world, what are the implications? What are the consequences? So I think, you know, the integration could be absolutely huge. But with that, there's downsides to what we already know the system to be at the moment. And that's where I I think there needs to be work done in order to figure out what the practical um, reality of this would be. Yeah. I think a lot of people like the idea of like new world anarchy system mm -hmm. where, you know, there's freedom everywhere and you can do whatever you want. But uh, I think a lot of people take take for granted a lot of the security that comes with with the with the current system and the government support like you know at the end of the day there's lots of things that there's no money or there's no incentive to create a lot of the support systems that we have that we have in in countries such as ours and and um unless there is a a government or or some some body or some organization with some semblance of of idea of the greater good in mind really yeah. isn't it and the thing is i think people underestimate that mm. so for example on my channel i've been very very um vocal about a particular scheme that exists in the bitcoin slash forex trading world mm -hmm. and i only covered the, this topic because people were constantly asking me and this was during the height of covid what do you think about this is this legit and they actually tried to recruit me and you know i had a talk with one of them i said no nah. like no yeah. there's no way i'm going to put this in front of my people just absolutely not mm -hmm. but in the in the coverage of this to say look guys this is a scam there are multiple red flags i laid all of the red flags and and one of the things that i said is you know look authorization by the fca is really really important and it's interesting to have seen and witnessed just the public perception of something like the fca it, the the feedback was well the FCA they don't really care about the individual person um, they don't give a monkeys about you it's all about you know helping the banks and it's misinformation miseducation yeah 
you know, notions like they're responsible for all of this nonsense, the financial crash and all of that. And it's like, well, actually, that's not true. If if you will know this better than I do, um, the FCA, if a company does something wrong, they come down on you with like a ton of bricks. Yeah. They are not shy about handing out fines left, right and center. Yeah. In most cases, you know, I've been in businesses where the FCA comes and does the audit. Like, you almost feel as though you're guilty until proven innocent. Mm. You are petrified that they don't find something where they ask you a question you can't answer that question. Yeah. And maybe that leads back to communication and the fact that our industry has been so poor at communicating and interfacing with the public to let them know exactly what it is that we're doing and everything seems to have been cloak and dagger, mm. especially after 2007, 2008 with all the stuff that happened with the banks. There is that distrust. Yeah. And I think what DeFi and crypto generally seeds is that trust. Mm. We're in control. It's not going to be controlled by a government or a body or an organization that oversees our stuff. But in that conversation, all of the consumer protections go out the window. And it's the funniest thing because, you know, the amount of people that I know who unfortunately approach me on Instagram and ask me, you know, is this good? I'm saying, I'm like, listen, don't, but they go do it anyway. <laughs> then they realize it's a scam. They lose a couple of thousand pounds. Then it's like, who do I report this to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you want the FCA. Exactly. Now you want the regulators. Now you want the authorities. It's it's an interesting, it's an interesting paradigm. But yeah. this is where you know conversations need to be had, and people need to interface with public and you know speak to the public from an not from a place of we are here and we know this, which is I think traditionally been the the impression of the financial services industry. Mm -hmm. But talk from a very human level, from a human place, and I think that's really where where the difference lies yeah definitely i mean they're trying a bit aren't they i think i actually saw that they did like a um like on instagram they did like a sponsored kind of event thing with quite a few um for want of a better phrase like influencers in the financial services space so uh, they're, they're trying aren't they but it's it's yeah it is a tough kind of tough bridge to go i think the point is that this is the whole situation we're having with such a crazy unregulated world gaining so much mainstream recognition is that at least it's bringing a lot of these issues to the forefront and hopefully it means mm. at the end of it, it might be a bit messy as we get through this period but we'll end up hopefully with a with a better system once we once we've kind of worked through a lot of these problems absolutely absolutely so one thing that i've so obviously I, i've rebranded the um the podcast from the uk money podcast to the hedge recently and one of the reasons for that is because i wanted to continue to talk about money to, and, and personal finance and investing and that sort of thing, but also talk a little bit more broadly about um, kind of living life in the way that we want to live and, and, and being able to make money and grow wealth whilst being as authentic and, and true to ourselves as possible. Because I think for me, that's kind of the second side to the coin of, of living a good life and being happy. You've got to have money to be able to do that. You've got to have the mm -hmm. freedom and flexibility that money gives you. But if you're slaving away doing something that you hate in order to make that money, it's kind of kind of pointless in my opinion. I think you're you've been someone who's it's been really interesting to watch because you know you kind of you you had a career in the city, you were working in the financial services industry and the investment industry as we kind of touched on a little bit, and you kind of walked away from that to to go into this this content creation um, game full full time so i'd be really interested if you could just talk us through a little bit about how you found that transition from 
kind of climbing that corporate ladder and moving into working for yourself. Yeah, um, it's something that happened. Well, this all started off in January 2020, mm-hmm. where, you know, I was working for a discretionary manager, fund manager in 19. And I got headhunted around about the December and left to this new company in the in January 2020. And I'm a big believer that you have to follow your gut. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know what it was. We went to Thailand for Christmas in, uh, and New Year's in the end of 2019. And in the run up to it, like October, November, my gut was just saying, look, you've wanted to do a YouTube channel for years and years and years. You've wanted to kind of like create content for years on this. Because when I was advising, one of the things I asked the network that I was part of to do was I want to do some financial education. The, the response was, you're never going to get rich you don't want to bother with that. Mm-hmm. And that's been in the back of my mind. So I had this urge to just get started. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet, took a YouTube course, and then started in the January. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that COVID was going to be that big. So when we were in Thailand, we were hearing, you know, COVID, 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 COVID. Yep. We didn't realize that it was going to lead to lockdowns in March. Mm. So luckily, I started the YouTube channel on in January. Then one of my mates said to me, well, you might as well just take the audio from the videos and make that into a podcast. Mm -hmm. So the first few um, episodes of the podcast, if you go back to the very, very beginning, is basically the audio from the YouTube channels, essentially. I quickly found out that that didn't work. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to March, it's like, well, I just started in this business, heading up a massive national project. And then it was like, well... mm, it's not going to work with COVID. We go into lockdown. So naturally I was the last person in, so I'm going to be the first person to leave. So I was kind of thrown into it and it's been a, it's been a, it's been a blessing in disguise. And I'm so lucky that there were a number of events that happened back end of 2019 that culminated to really be able to make this a reality for me. So the transition was one that I didn't number one, have a choice over. And I just thought to myself, right, if I'm able to make ends meet and I had, you know, quite a bit of money in emergency fund available, I thought I can give this a really, really good go. Um, And really to to start it, it was just a case of trying to create content that maybe people would resonate with and have conversations with people and have the conversations that, like I said, people, I wish people had with me when I was 25. Mm -hmm. And if I fast forward to, to now, it's been a huge learning curve and a massive, massive journey. I don't think that I would have done it, if I'm honest, had COVID not come around because, you know, the golden handcuffs are very, very real. Mm -hmm. It's not that I hated what I did. I just didn't find it as rewarding as maybe as I could have done because at the end of the day, you know, I've been in the industry for 15, 16 years now. It's all very well and good working with wealthy people, but you'll know all you're doing is making wealthy people more wealthy. And after a while they make so much money you make them so much money it's just like yeah so for me i was like what good am i actually doing am i actually helping people mm. i'm helping someone who already has money have more money yeah but people from my background and my demographic and my social economic you know history they don't know this stuff yeah. and so it was almost like a i had a, a compulsion to to start the channel I'm, I'm i'm thankful that i did yeah i think lots of other people are as well 
it's interesting you you mentioned your background there because I saw this uh, the trailer that you've dropped for this new short film and I was like, holy shit, this is like, is this Louis Theroux or what? This looks so legit. Do you want to? Can you tell us any more about this? Uh, this, like, yeah, like I say, it looks like a kind of documentary short film of kind of your life. Can you tell us any more about it? Yeah, oh mate, listen, I am so <laughs> nervous to have this come out. Um, so. It basically chronicles a little bit of my life journey mm -hmm. and there's so much more that we could delve into, but essentially, um, when I tell people like kind of like the highlight reels of, you know, the things, how my life has gone. Um, my parents were Nigerian. They came over in the 1970s. Um, they were working, they were studying, they had me, I was a surprise. They couldn't afford to look after me because they were working and they had three older brothers, well, my older, three older brothers to, to look mm -hmm. after. So what they did is they put me in foster care for four months all the way until I was like seven, eight years old. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, they decided we're going to take you over to Nigeria, but they didn't tell my foster. And I learned this when we were filming this. I was sat down with my foster dad and I learned this on camera wow. for the first time. They had no idea that that day when I left them because every year I'd go and see my parents in London for two weeks in the summer. Mm -hmm. They had no idea that they were going to put me on a plane to go to Nigeria oh, for the shit. first time ever. So it was supposed to be a two week holiday. Yeah. I ended up staying there for 10 years. Wow, that's so, mad. Bearing in mind, so I never met my older brothers, never met any of my family, my extended family. I barely knew my mum and my dad. I'm thrust into this country where it's a complete culture shock. People that I don't know, I speak like an English boy. And then I become a target in school because he's English. Yeah. He's like, he's a white boy, yeah, like yeah. pretty much. That's how they viewed mm. me there. So 10 years out there, I did my secondary education. Um, and then my dad had a great idea one day because he knew that I wasn't really going to be able to live up to my potential out there. He came home on a Sunday. He goes, I've got you a ticket. You're going to be going back to the UK and there's 50 quid. So on the Sunday, he goes, you're going to be flying um, next Friday. He comes back literally two days later on the Tuesday puts me on a plane that night. Now, bearing in mind, I've been out there for 10 years. Mm. My foster parents didn't even know that I was in Nigeria. They found out a month later that I was not coming back. I sent them letters. They never got any of my letters, nothing. They put me on a plane with 50 quid. I turned up at Heathrow airport with 50 quid in my pocket, 17, just about turning 18. And I had nowhere else to go apart from my foster parents' house. So after 10 years, I rock up on their doorstep. Just turn up at their door. Turn up on their doorstep. Lucky they still lived there. Um, and pretty much that was, that's how my journey started here in the UK. Um, I've been homeless multiple times. And the, the film basically chronicles a little bit of that. It has conversations with my foster dad. My foster mom is no longer with us. So some of the things that about the fostering that whole journey, he was telling me things that I literally knew nothing about. I learned it on camera. Then, um, because obviously I ended up on the exec team of a fortune 100 in Canary Wharf, I wanted to basically chronicle that because, you know, people will say that you're a byproduct of your environment. Um, I think I kind of defy the odds in that, in that regard. Um, homeless, no family, no support, nothing here. But how do I then transition and get myself into financial services? I speak with an old manager of mine who was a massive, massive help, Mandy. Um, and then I chronicle 
getting into Canary Wharf and some of the journey there. And I end the film with kind of like a challenge, really, um, asking people, you know, and, and maybe begging the question that, you know, if you're not a byproduct of your environment, what do you aspire to actually be? Because people will argue that maybe I should be, you know, and I, I had periods where, you know, I did, you know, I was in, I was in gangs, I sold drugs, I, I had periods like that. But I made a conscious choice at some point to say, look, actually, I'm better than this. I need to go pursue something that will put me on a better path and not, you know, potentially end up in prison. So, yeah, it chronicles a little bit of that, but it's designed to hopefully um, help people see that, you know, you're not a byproduct of your environment. You can make whatever you want happen with a little bit of effort and a plan and hard work. Shit, mate! I respected you before uh, before you told me that, and now that's just gone up uh, another level. That's incredible. I didn't realize anything about that. So that's can't wait to watch watch that uh, the documentary. When does it come out? Uh, it's going to air on my channel on November the twenty second at five pm. That's my birthday, so it seems fitting to do it yeah. on my birthday. I'll be forty two, um, so doing it on my birthday. We try to get into media, but. I'd never made a short film before, so little did I know there were little things that we did wrong, okay. um, and certain things aren't perfect with it. But yeah, it is there, and it will sit on the channel for for time for the time being, and hopefully people people watch it and feel inspired, and it gives people hope. Yeah, incredible. I'm sure it will. So I mean, that's that's kind of a good segue. Then that's obviously a, a pretty big departure from a lot of your content that you've been creating up to now. What does what does the future hold for conversation of money? Are you going to start doing a bit more of that type of stuff? Um, I have an idea of what I actually want to do. I mean, I want to be able to tell, because um, I think one of the biggest things that we have the benefit of is that social media connects people. And I'm not necessarily of the opinion that, you know, you can draw inspiration from the celebrities of this world. I think sometimes actually drawing inspiration from them um, often... Uh, breeds this air of I don't know un unrealism it's not realistic yeah. right I think the most inspiring stories that you can come across are people that actually are just walking down the street that you know you look at and you think just an ordinary person who's done something extraordinary mm -hmm. <clears throat> in their own way so I would I want to be able to basically produce um, documentaries and short films like the one that I produce for myself, but telling other people's stories, yeah. but also actually to have some financial education elements to it. This was really shot. Well, the initial intention was to shoot it as a potential weeding and learning out, learning kind of like process for projects that I'd want to do and okay. I'd want to have it on things like Netflix and Amazon yeah, and, yeah. And, and TV so I want to do a little bit more of that I, I do want to do more TV stuff in the new year because I think representation is really really important and it's not often that you see people who look like me in this space in financial services yeah. on a wider scale and because of my background and because of my story I hope that you know kids from maybe my community will look at me and be like actually you know what I don't have to be a footballer or a rapper yeah. or you know this or that there's typical stereotypes in order to have a decent kind of like life um so I want to do more media more media work in the new year in terms of YouTube YouTube is a funny one I mean the content is great I enjoy creating the content and I enjoy the conversations part of me is like well how how much more can I do on investing all this kind of stuff that still keeps people engaged. Yeah. Um, 
So next year, I'm thinking of maybe pivoting the channel slightly um, to maybe create a different kind of content, but still investment led. Yeah. I'm still on. I'm still unsure about that at the moment. I'm still playing around. I've been experimenting a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, we'll see. But I definitely want to. You know, I want to reach more people and amplify the voice a little bit more. Awesome. Actually, I forgot to mention one thing. I wanted to uh, just mention briefly. Won't take up too much more of your time, but uh, I saw that uh, Graham Stephan dropped a comment on one of your videos, which is like for anyone who's not heard <laughs> yeah. of Graham Stephan, that's like, it's uh, that's like fucking Tom Cruise commenting on on yeah. an actor's page, like he's like yeah. three and a half million subscribers on YouTube. He's like yeah. the personal finance guy. That must have been a, a bit of a buzzy feeling when when you saw that comment. You know what happened, right? So on my on my channel, I've got filters. Mm-hmm. I don't. So people who come on my channel will know that it's not full of like. Telegram groups, WhatsApp groups, all that kind of stuff. That's because I've t- put a ton of filters on my comments. Okay. So if certain words have included, they get put backstage for me to review and, and put mm-hmm. on. So his comment actually went backstage. <laughs> so there's me scrolling through and thought, I'm just going to see what's backstage and just see if, what I need to review. And I saw Graham Stephan. And I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I was like, there's no way this is the real Graham yeah. Stephan. But lo and behold, you click on it and it goes to his channel. And I was like, wow. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible, really, to be honest, mate. And um, yeah, but like you said, he's the freaking god on YouTube. Yeah. He's him and he's probably the, the if you had to put, you know, YouTubers in, a, in a, a society like we have today, he's the 1%, the top yeah. quarter of 1%. Um, very, very successful channel. I watched a lot of his channel when I started mine, to be honest, to be fair. Um, but yeah, it was nice that he actually took the time to actually write a massive it was, Yeah, comment. it wasn't like, good and, job, mate, with a thumbs up. It was like full on. He wrote paragraphs. Yeah. It? Yeah. And he actually came back and actually put another comment as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice. It's nice to get noticed by someone like that. But, you know... The grind continues, as you, as you, if you will. Yeah. Well, look, I'm really, really excited to see what what the future holds for your content. I think, I think people kind of follow you, uh, no matter no matter what you do, because you the, the stuff you put out there is very, very genuine, very authentic. And I'm really excited to see see this short film that comes out for people who maybe haven't come across you before. When, where can they find all of your content? Yeah, so um, it's Conversation of Money, um, the Conversation of Money podcast. It's on Spotify, all of the good outlets. Uh, we go live with an episode every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Then on YouTube, it's Conversation of Money. Um, this year, I have been posting two videos a week. I'm probably going to change that next year. I do actually have some media stuff to do next year as well, so the schedule will change. So YouTube, podcast, the website is called Conversation of Money as well. On Instagram, it's Conversation of Money. On TikTok, it's Conv of Money. So you're limited with characters. So it's C O N C O N V O F M O N E Y on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Pete. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, mate. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Jason.